Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Sharpen up those pitchforks and torches and get ready for another episode of the Middle Seats podcast, hopefully presented by Quiznos now. We talked about it enough at the last episode that I hope finally that the sponsorship money's come through. Nate's our business manager, so he would know better. Nate, has the sponsorship money oh, come through? Oh, how, how do I have more responsibilities now? Business manager and editor and Jake Beardcomber? It's too much. You're going to trust Jake with money? I'm not going to. That's a fair point, which is ironic because I'm currently working in an accounting department. (laughs) (laughs) The Middle Seats is the best seat of the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm your lead investigator tonight, Andrew Auger. Let's meet the rest of these suspects. We kind of already did. I'm going to rule out this guy as the prime suspect because there's no way he could ever commit a crime except being too adorable, Mr. Nate Lungarini, which I don't think is a felony, Nate. I certainly hope not, uh, or else you might have to lock me up with the kittens and puppies and... I don't know. I feel like you can have a cute fish, right? In jail? I've never been, but... We'll roll with it. Cute fish, yeah. <laughs> I actually do know one crime that Nate uh, committed. It was speeding on his way to my heart. <laughs> this is getting out of hand already. We're like not even two minutes into this podcast, and we're already going at it. He may not be the sharpest tool in the bunch, but he is a tool, Mr. Jake Hensler. Wow. Straight into the point on your part, very <laughs> concise. You knew exactly what you wanted to say and how to say it. Yeah, it's not as funny when you don't defend yourself, though, because I just feel like a bully. And that's not me at heart. Good. <laughs> well, that's your job. <laughs> we got the accountant, we got the editor, and now we got yeah. the bully, Drew. Who's McFly's, like, nemesis? Biff. I'm Biff. I'm the Biff of the podcast. The Middle East Podcast, like I said, is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you're joining us for the first time, we divide our show into three slash three and a half segments. We go into lobby talk, which is a topic proposed by one of the crew members where we just kind of talk about it back and forth. That takes about 10 to 15 minutes of your time. Nate will be pitching that in just a second. Then we're going to give you an update on our box office draft game. Uh, I'm not very happy, folks. I mean, I'm generally not a happy person, but I'm especially not happy, and we're going to get into why in a little bit. Then we have a couple of exciting news items, and then we are going to go into our feature review, which is of a movie a lot of you have been seeing, which I'm surprised about. Uh, pleasantly surprised. A lot of people are going out to see the murder mystery by Ryan Johnson, Knives Out. So we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Say you're in a hurry. If you don't have time to listen to the whole thing, there are time codes in the description below. You can skip around and get to the parts that you want to hear. Hopefully one of the parts you want to hear is lobby talk. Let's start there. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. Alrighty, so my turn for lobby talk, and I actually lucked out and got a very easy topic for us to discuss today. By the time this podcast comes out, my procrastination pending, Star Wars will be right on the corner, which means this is our time to geek out and figure out all our weird, crazy Middle Seeds fan theories. All right, so lots of t- to talk about, obviously. This is going to be the end of the new trilogy, uh, starting off of the pretty good 
Force Awakens to the pretty bad Last whoa, Jedi. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That is not middle seats condoned. Let's watch yeah, it out that there. That is not general consensus, but go on. <laughs> I just, I just. I saw it coming, too. At a Force vision. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, end of a new trilogy, rather. And JJ's back. So... Uh, we'll shape the conversation two ways. I want to hear a pitch from you guys of what you want to happen, maybe like a little bit of a reach, and something you think absolutely will happen. Uh, so let's start off with Drew. You don't get to go first very often. I don't. That's true. Yeah, because if you're not first, you're last. Uh, I was going to say first is the worst, second is the best, and help you guys out, but sure. There's a lot riding on this movie. I mean, there's a lot of pressure, obviously, especially after Last Jedi, which as Nate kind of alluded to, was a very polarizing film. But also, the fact that you're wrapping up a saga of, this is the ninth movie now, and you're not even counting all the spinoffs that kind of inform things, and the TV shows that inform things in the Skywalker saga, there's a lot that you gotta do. What I want is for them to stick to the guns a little bit of what Ryan Johnson did. Now, I understand every a lot of people were upset about some of the decisions in The Last Jedi, and that's understandable. But I think to kind of backtrack on them now will, would not be a great thing. And one specific thing I really want them to do that I really liked and kind of keyed into the themes of Last Jedi that I love the most, the idea that anybody can be like a hero, anybody can grow up to be a Jedi hero. It doesn't have to be, you know, hereditary or anything like that. Leave Rey's parentage out of this. I kind of really like that little twist in Last Jedi where Kylo has a big conversation with her about how she's nobody. Her parents weren't anybody special. She's possibly not related to anybody that we think she could be related to as far as force sensitivity goes. I like the idea that they're just people that grow up and they have a chosen one slash destiny aspect to them. And I think Daisy Ridley plays that kind of wide-eyedness well. So I think undercutting that by making it like, oh, she's the third cousin to Kylo Ren or something like that, or you, you never know how they would tie it in. Not everybody has to be connected to everybody, which is ironic to say because the thing that I expect is that the Skywalker family obviously will have a very big part in this, but also the Solo family and that main core group. I expect Luke, Leia, Han to show up as some kind of force vision at some point in the movie. I, I think Harrison Ford's in this movie and we just, we haven't heard anything about it. I think there's no shot that with this big wrap-up, they didn't entice him to come back one more time. Uh, I'm with you on Ray. I'm kind of hoping they don't backtrack what Ryan Johnson did because it would just feel a little weird to do. Even if people didn't like it, just adjust and adapt accordingly. I'm kind of with you there. Um, although we agree a lot on Last Jedi. Um, I do like what you said about the Force ghosts because I agree. Those are some of the most iconic characters in history. And this is wrapping the Skywalker story as a whole. This is the last time we'll ever get these characters in a new light, Correct. Correct. Right. That, that's so what they say, I'm, at least. Like, right, that's what they say. Right. <laughs> Until the next trilogy. Ooh. Yeah, 30 years right, from exactly. now. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I'm assuming we'll get all those characters back because Disney and Star Wars love nostalgia. So what I want to happen is kind of the opposite. It's actually what I don't want to happen. And I don't want the Emperor, Mr. Palpatine, to have too large of a role. <laughs> Mr. Palpatine. Um, so much respect. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's not like a big gripe, but I feel like there's a little bit of, in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, there's a little bit of too much nostalgia here and there. Like there's a lot of pullback to the original trilogy to get people going, to get nostalgia factor in. 
And some of that's okay, but I don't want them to do that too much. I want to see these characters get their own light, their own arcs, their own time in the story. So if Palpatine's in it, if the Emperor's in it, and they have a good idea for him, fine. I really don't want him to be in the movie that much. I want to see these new heroes and villains fight each other or work together in the in the Last Jedi's case, whatever that may be. I want to see them get the light. So that's kind of what I want. I want to see them focus on these characters. And obviously, I want them to make the movie good. I want it to wrap up well. And what I think will happen, I didn't get this far. <laughs> that's good. Expect the unexpected. Oh, boy. <laughs> I like the, first of all, Mr. Palpatine sounds like a third grade science teacher. It really does. <laughs> He's lost all intimidation factor now. Thanks. <laughs> it's like the adult swim robot chicken version. You know? Exactly. <laughs> I threw the whole Senate at him. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites. Ugh. So do you seriously not have an answer? Or <laughs> No, I'm, I'm being honest. I, I was working. I pretty much went from work to here. and I just didn't have enough time to come up with the second part of this topic. Mm. I think we need to leave this in and shame him, Nate. Shame. <laughs> shame. Shame on. That's All right. right. Mr. Palpatine would have been very disappointed you didn't turn in your homework. <laughs> All righty. So I'll start with what I expect to happen. I'm expecting that we're going to have, like, the big Avengers-style brawl where – we combine all of our characters in one space and do something crazy. I think my my hope with that would be that we somehow combine lots of Jedis with lots of spaceships. I don't know how they do it, but I feel like we've never seen someone force interact with a moving spaceship like in a big final battle kind of moment. Like we've gone lots of leaps in this trilogy where people are holding blaster shots or making real force projections that travel planets. I want to see someone like force move a Death Star type thing or like a really big spaceship. I don't know. Something big and epic. I think that's what's coming. I think that's pretty safe to expect. Like this is the final trilogy. So there's going to be a big final force moment, I think. And I, I think it's reasonable to expect that we haven't seen any of that yet in the trailers. We've seen snippets of the final battle, I think. Like the part where they're all on, like, space horses, like, running on top of that ship. And then you've also got the spaceships, like, lining up to go to battle with each other. That's elements of the final battle, I think. But I think that Kylo and Rey duel out on the water, I think that's pretty early on. That's just a gut feeling I have because we've seen so much of it. I think that's, like... First act, second act. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, like, that was the culmination of Force Awakens was leading up to that fight. So if that's the finale for another movie, I feel like that's that's like a dip. That's less stakes than what we're, we should get out of a third trilogy, you know? Yeah. There's a part of me that is kind of expecting it to play a little on the safer side because I feel like that's what Force Awakens was. And Disney liked what J.J. did with it. There was more backlash to Last Jedi. So I think they got him back to play it a little bit safe. And I'm a little worried about that, truthfully. I'm hoping it's not too safe and it's not too pleasing and generic. I like the risks. Right. To defend J.J. Abrams a little bit, we grade him on the Ryan Johnson scale, subverting expectations. J.J. Abrams, he has got his whole mystery box thing. He's very big into secrecy and surprises and stuff like that. Now, granted, a lot of the surprises that he has built his career on have been things that we could call like a year out. Like when he cast Benedict Cumberbatch 
in Star Trek in the Darkness, and we were all like, he's Khan, like, duh. <laughs> and then, no, he was like, and then they're like, no, his name is uh, John Harrison. He's like, no, he's Khan. And then sure enough, he was Khan. So it's like, okay, you're bad at this, but you're at least trying. It's different than if they hired like a, and this is just the first name that comes to mind because he's also a Star Wars director. If they hired someone like Ron Howard, then I could see like, yeah, they're definitely looking into playing it safe. But J.J. Abrams does push things a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think people are thinking more of what he did with Force Awakens. Right. Is he going to handle the property a little bit more bravely in this one? We'll have to wait and see. They're less worried that this will be polarizing because Last Jedi was so polarizing and the existence of Solo was polarizing in itself, even (laughs) if the movie wasn't. Right. The announcement was backlashed. Mm -hmm. And where's Obi-Wan Kenobi movie? <laughs> right. My whole write-up of Solo was basically like, this movie's fine, but it doesn't need to exist, and it never justifies existing. <laughs> basically, they're on a down streak, and they needed somebody to stabilize the ship. And J.J. Abrams is a good person to do that because, yes, Force Awakens leaned a lot on A New Hope. I think we just all hope that this is not going to be just a redux of Return of the Jedi. Do we, are we all on the same page there? Yeah, absolutely. Better be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have a lot more to say on Star Wars in the coming weeks for sure when we go into our deep dive, hopefully in our next episode. But for now, let's transition into the box office draft. Let's make some money! All you care about is money. The box office disaster. Money, money, money. Star Wars is my movie, and that usually sounds pretty good, but as Nate's going to explain, it's not that simple for me right now. (laughs) All right, so in terms of new releases, everyone's team is the same, and Jake has decided not to trade movies. So everyone's in a stable place, and it's just seeing how the money is coming in. And I've got to say, my combo of Ford and Ferrari, but mostly Frozen 2 by a large margin, is keeping me with a very healthy early lead. And I have a lot of big releases coming up in February and March between Mulan and Birds of Prey. Uh, We won't talk about Bad Boys for Life until (laughs) we're a little bit more confident in it. So Ford versus Ferrari has held very, very well. It's the new prototype dad movie that's just raking in a consistently 20 million a week, which has been great. Um, And then Frozen 2 is just going to be one of the biggest animated releases of all time period so (laughs) that's where we are there uh let's move to jake first he's only got one movie on the board with knives out which obviously we're reviewing today and that has actually done quite quite well for jake i mean why wouldn't it have i know how to drive movies (laughs) and andrew's so tight (laughs) (laughs) i'm just so mad at myself (laughs) so knives out has it started tracking very well right up to release but it was definitely a dark horse going into this draft and i think as of now jake it looks like a very good call for you might make 100 million with this movie which is very good for a original property with no ties to other franchises that's excellent and i think there might be a little bit of awards buzz for it too maybe not in the main awards but definitely in screenplay so it could carry well into january february too and I would just like to point out that my only movie to be released is has grossed more than both Avengers. Just wanted to just rub, <laughs> rub, just rub dirt in the wound. That's all. <laughs> all right. So that, that brings us to 
our poor buddy Drew, so confident off that first pick Star Wars that he forgot to draft the rest of his team. Charlie's Angels, as we talked about last podcast, tanked. <laughs> it was an absolute bomb. It's made less than $20 million at the time of this recording and probably won't by the end of its box office run. It's made a pittance on Ugh. a weekly scale. And to make things worse, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood has not done as well as expected. It's good and it's holding okay, but the big swell to see this movie seemed to be less of a wave and more of a nice little stream, a little low tide kind of deal. Um, so it'll continue to make money. It'll be kind of like a Ford versus Ferrari where a lot of people will see it as they get to it. But as Christmas rolls around, there's going to be a lot more competition for this type of movie, and it might lose its market pretty soon. And as we talked about last podcast, he had to drop Godzilla versus Kong for Sonic the Hedgehog, which is a coin flip of whether that makes money or not at this point. <laughs> so it really all hinges on Star Wars for Drew. Like a gold coin, mate? Get it? Because Sonic? It's a ring. Oh. I'm taking L's in this entire segment <laughs> all year. He's long. just taking L's everywhere. Yeah, I knew Charlie's Angels was going to be a problem when I went on opening night, and it was me, my friend, and then just, like, one other woman. Like, on opening night in a 300-seat auditorium. And I was like, well, I hope I don't have this in any of my drafts. And then I checked, and of course, lo and behold, the person who invented the game is going to lose. I don't, I don't know. Star Wars has to be a mega hit. For you to have any chance whatsoever, yes. Yeah, I just don't want to come in last. Charlie's Angels is essentially making the amount of money at the box office that, like, your dad would give you for lunch that day if you, like, your mom <laughs> forgot to pack it. Like, that's the kind of money it's making. Mm. <laughs> it's the allowance of Bill Gates' grandkids. <laughs> yeah, basically. All right, so next time we record, we should have a good idea of how Star Wars is doing. So Drew will obviously shoot up. It's just a matter of how high he goes. Are we going to reach the stars or... Are we going to be in, like, the Sarlacc pits? We'll find out. Although, I would argue that two episodes from now will give us a clearer picture because when we record that first one, we'll have the opening weekend totals. But mm -hmm. Last Jedi opened huge and then dropped pretty big. I mean, dropped, like, still made, like, 100 million week two. But, you know, it didn't hold like Force Awakens mm -hmm. did, so it ended up with 600 mil as opposed to 900 mil. I need, like, 750 from Rise of Skywalker. And you are not the only person with big releases coming out. Jake has Jumanji Next Level coming out and will be out by the time you listen to this podcast. And Cats is also opening the same weekend as Star Wars, which is, in my opinion, another coin flop. Let, but. Let's, yeah, let's lump those two together for sure. We're going to get that Taylor Swift cult. I'm calling it. Oh my <laughs> you God. said that literally every single time. It's all and I'm banking I, on. I don't think it's going to work for you. <laughs> Dude, she's definitely like in the movie for like 15 minutes. That's yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm much more interested to see how Jumanji does because it definitely had a lot of hype coming out of how well the last movie did, but it's also slated against a lot more movies that are going to follow it. So it might open good, but I don't know if it's going to hold as well because it has so much competition for its target audience. Yeah, and it's the reverse this time where it doesn't follow Star Wars. It comes before it. So that's a, that was exactly. a very interesting approach in my opinion. Like, originally, I think it was slated to go up against it, which I, I agree, move off of that. But why not go on Christmas? Like, it would have dominated Christmas. It's just an interesting approach to me. I, they'll still make their 200 mil minimum. But, like, I don't know. I think it might cost it, like, a good 50, 100 million. Mm -hmm. 
So I think it's just a waiting game at this point, but that's your box office update, Drew. <laughs> so when you guys go to see Star Wars, you're definitely going to see a couple of trailers that we're going to be talking about on our news segment today. And this just in, a news break special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. All right, so we've got a classic Marvel versus DC quarry. And I think we're going to start with Marvel here just because we're going to transition Disney properties here. Let's talk about the trailer for Black Widow. What brings you home? I heard you had to leave in a hurry. I've lived a lot of lives, but I'm done running from my past. We have to go back to where it all started. Still fits. Family. Back together again. Gonna be a hell of a reunion. Black Widow is the start of Phase 4 of the MCU. It is the 24th film in the now, it will be 12-year history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is directed by Kate Shortland. It stars Scarlett Johansson, of course. Black Widow in her first ever solo adventure. She's been in all of the Avengers movies. She's been in a bunch of the Captain America movies. She was in Iron Man 2. She now gets the spotlight to herself. This is a prequel to an extent. We don't know how honest... Marvel's being about that. We know for sure that a good chunk of the plot takes place in between Civil War and Infinity War when Black Widow made the decision to help out the fugitive Steve Rogers. She ends up on the run with him eventually, and I think this movie's going to kind of take place in that interim time where she's on the run from the American government, because William Hurt is back as Thunderbolt Ross, the Secretary of State, but then she's also going to be reckoning with things that happened in her past when she was a KGB operative and she was trained to be a super assassin at a very young age. Florence Pugh is in this film, who has had a big 2019. She was in Midsummer. She's in Little Women. She had a very big year. Rachel Weisz had a really big 2018 with The Favorite. She's in this as well. And David Harbour is having a big decade period with Stranger Things, and he was Hellboy. So, you know, that's quality. It comes out on May 1st. Guys, let's talk about this first look. Jake, what did you think of the Black Widow trailer? Um, I thought it was, I thought it looks cool. I thought they revealed slightly more than they usually do, which I was a little surprised by. Um, I just didn't expect them to reveal her entire family and her, like, fighting her sister in, in the, at the same time. I mean, at least for, like, a minute they fight, but I wasn't expecting that. They also gave you the first look at the villain already. I just feel like they revealed a little bit more than they usually do. But I liked it. I thought it looked cool. It's got a bit of a Winter Soldier vibe, which I love Winter Soldier, so I'm down for that. The music is pretty cool. I like the casting choices. I think all around it looks good and, you know, per usual, Marvel can't fail. Hopefully. Right. Hopefully they don't. Honest at this point to say that they've had very few genuine clunkers. So, I mean, you have a certain expectation in your head, but Nate... Where do you think this is going to land on the MCU scale? Hard to say, obviously, from a trailer. Um, but I have to say I'm a little underwhelmed by this trailer. I think action-wise, it looks great in classic Marvel. Um, like you said, Jake, very Captain America-esque, where it's more of the spy element. Obviously, because Black Widow's a spy. Duh. But um, <laughs> the thing that's underwhelming me is the, the voiceovers. A lot of the the plot stuff seems very generic, like almost too generic of like, oh, you don't know everything about my past kind of stuff. Um, Got to go back to the beginning where it all began kind of stuff. It's just like, 
uh, thriller spy movie cliches at this point. Like, unfortunately, this movie is coming out after we know that Black Widow dies in Endgame. Wait, so, what? <laughs> <get out of> <laughs> so it feels weird to me exploring her family after her Endgame arc was the fact that the Avengers were her family, you know? Right. So I don't know if I expected an origin story because this clearly isn't. But I think that would have worked a little bit well where it fits in the MCU. Yeah, may, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I, I follow what you're saying. Um, but they, from that route, I guess they could go, um, like maybe her family betrays her, or maybe they're not as helpful as they thought, or maybe they all die and she loses all of them. Like, there are options to fulfill that arc, but I get what you mean. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to stress that this is just trailer talk. Right. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to analyze the movie too quick. It's got to be. My question is, is this movie coming too late? And that kind of goes off of what you were saying, Nate, now that her arc in the main contemporary line was complete. Um, Like, we all know she's dead. It actually, funny little anecdote, Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson were doing like an actors on actors interview. And they were talking about this movie and Chris Evans asked that same question that you did. And he was like, it's the biggest movie of all time. I could spoil it wherever. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, that's absolutely right. Everybody knows her fate at this point. That's why... When I tweeted out the initial trailer, a lot of people that follow me were speculating, okay, what's the catch? Is there something about the Soul Stone that has to do with this? Is there something to do with, you know, there's a, is there a clue to her possible resurrection for future films? And maybe not necessarily. There's no way to get that from this trailer. But if we're talking about just a standalone adventure on its own, wouldn't this have gone better somewhere in between Civil War and Infinity War as far as the release schedule goes? Like put this before Doctor Strange or something like that. Yeah, or even right before Infinity War. Mm. Yeah, I say that because I'm kind of with Nate where, I mean, I'm not underwhelmed. I think it looks fun. I just don't have expectations that are above mid-tier MCU. Like, I don't expect this to be as good as, like, Infinity War. Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, right. or even, even something like... Thor like, Ragnarok. Yeah or, yeah, or even something like Thor Ragnarok or Black Panther, which, like, aren't top, top tier, but they're, like, mid to top tier, if that makes sense. Right. I'm expecting a solid, fun movie... But I also don't have huge expectations because, I mean, we've already seen the peak. It's going to take a lot, something game-changing. Like, I'm very excited for Eternals next year more than this because that's something we haven't seen before. And I bet that's going to be wild. And once we get to the multiverse stuff, that'll be wild. But this seems like a kind of a safe re-entry into the MCU after almost a year off. And I'm not going to begrudge them that. That's fine. I just don't, I'm not overly excited. Yeah, and I'm excited for a low-stakes Marvel movie, too. Like, we don't need the end of the world every movie, and obviously not after Endgame. So right. excited for that, at yeah, the very least. That's a good point. That's why I think Sp- Spider-Man Far From Home was a really nice follow-up, nice little coda-slash-epilogue to Phase 3, because it reckoned with what happened in Endgame, but it wasn't like earth-shattering events. It was very personal to Spider-Man himself. If we get more adventures like that, I'm cool with it. I'm in for that. That's what a lot of them were beforehand. Right. So summer 2020 is shaping up to be a big rumble between Marvel and DC because not only do they have movies butting heads with each other for the first time in what feels like a while, they have their two top female heroes going after each other, which will be very interesting. And that transitions into the first ever trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. Welcome to the future. Life is good, but it can be better. You know what you need to do. 
Nothing good is born from lies. And greatness is not what you think. Now, Wonder Woman, if you remember back to 2017, was the big hit of the year. There were a bunch of Marvel superhero movies that came out, but Wonder Woman, I think, kind of dominated the conversation a little bit. It was a huge, huge hit for DC throughout that summer. Uh, Gal Gadot, obviously, back as Wonder Woman, playing the character for the fourth time, I believe. Yeah, fourth time. Chris Pine coming back almost inexplicably, if you know what happened in the original Wonder Woman. But that's a big part of the mystery, which we'll speculate on in a moment. Uh, Pedro Pascal is in this one. Kristen Wiig is in this one. They're both probably playing villains. Kristen Wiig's character is based off a character from the comics called Cheetah. I forget who Pedro Pascal is playing, but he clearly is not a good guy if you look at the trailer. <laughs> He's not typically. but Yeah. Patty Jenkins is back as director. June 5th, the release date for this one. So about a month after Black Widow. Big, high-profile, female-led superhero sequel. Nate, what did you get from this trailer? I'm a little more nervous about this one, if I'm going to be honest. And I might be the Debbie Downer here just because I wasn't as big um, the original Wonder Woman between the two of you. I remember you guys both really liking it. Yeah, I think I saw it like three or four times. Woof. I worked at a theater at the time, so I didn't have to pay for it. But it was still <laughs> a good, like, I'm going to go on my break and watch Wonder Woman movie. You know. <laughs> well, tell you what, I'll frame it like this. If you're a fan of the first Wonder Woman, you're going to get a lot of the stuff that you probably liked, which includes big, dramatic, slow-mo action shots of and moving at weird speeds. That kind of bugged me the first time around, just because she looks like an action figure being held by a child flying around the screen. It like There's no right movement there. It bugs me. But anyway... We get, like, the, the weird McDonald's Toy Story armor. I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's apparently speculation Why? Sorry to interrupt. But it's a very popular costume from the comics. I'm not a big, huge DC extraordinaire. I know more about Marvel, I would say. But apparently that's a very big, like, Wonder Woman fans lost their shit when they saw that. All right. Well, all, all the more power to them. I, I, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade with just a trailer. It looks too action figure for me. It doesn't – it looks kind of plastic. But Gal Gadot looks like she's having fun. Um, very surprised to see Chris Pine back here. I think this plot has to involve time travel in some capacity because it just makes way too much sense. They show the clock a million times, or the watch rather. Chris Pine is inexplicably back after that. And the same age. And I think this is also going to address the, the big question that a lot of people had going into Justice League. Did Wonder Woman just stand by during World War II? That makes no sense. She had to have had morals to try to help that war like she did the First World War. So if there's time travel involved, maybe she physically wasn't present in that time to help out. And that might make more sense that way. So uh, it looks like the good parts that I did enjoy are back in this movie. But it looks like the style is very similar to the original Wonder Woman, which I'm a little less excited about. Soundtrack's good, though. Yeah, the techno. Which, Jake, you said sounded like the Atomic Blonde soundtrack. Are you getting any other kind of vibes like that? I mean, yeah, woman action movie, for starters. <laughs> um, Why do you use yeah, your no, caveman I, brain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, woman fight bad guy. <laughs> no, I do think it is from Atomic Blonde. I do like, and again, I like the music. The music's cool. But I'm kind of with, with what Nate said about Black Widow. I was a little underwhelmed by this. And I actually also, same thing with Black Widow's trailer. I think... They revealed a lot more than I would have expected. Like, 
They revealed that Chris Pine is back and she's got new armor. Like, save us something. I feel like those are two pretty big points for the movie. I feel like they were never going to hold the Chris Pine thing because, I mean, he's a bankable name. You can't not put him on the That's poster, true. especially if he plays a big part in the movie. But I agree about right. the armor. Yeah, like, put that in the final trailer before release. Get people that more amped. Like, you already told us we probably have two villains and Chris Pine. I don't need to know the armor's there also. Give it, like, you know, pull back. Hold something back. Yeah. Um, overall, I liked the first Wonder Woman. I hope it's good, but the trailer didn't overly impress me. And like like Nate said while we were watching it, that's not how guns work. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> or how lightning works. How do you whip lightning in most? Oh, come on. That's so cool, though. <laughs> Ugh. See, I think that's the difference between Marvel and, and DC a little bit. Marvel, they do creative things with powers, and you cannot deny that this is creative. But this looks plastic to me. This doesn't look grounded in the movie's own reality, let alone our reality, of how they do their super speed, super strength, lightning whip, bungee jumping. I don't even know what to call that. <laughs> And not to blame everything on him in the DC Extended Universe, but all the movies are based off of Zack Snyder's style, and that doesn't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Zack Snyder's action scenes are very much built on the speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down. And, yeah, I guess that doesn't fit for everyone. I agree there were moments of the original Wonder Woman that had that kind of plastic, especially the third act. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've ranted about that before, I think. I think this looks really fun, to be honest. I, I dug the trailer quite a bit. I might just have a kink for, like, 80s set stuff like this. Between the two trailers, I am more excited for this than Black Widow. Okay. Hmm. Oh, see, I, I think I'm the opposite, but interesting. I think it looks more unique and more colorful, especially. I mean, I love the Definitely. neon look. I love that there's, like, an action scene set in a mall. It's like, this is a big year for malls between this and Stranger Things. Yeah, it, it looked like it might have been the same set. Honestly. You think so? <laughs> it it looks very it looks very similar with the escalators going up and down, but like where they're positioned on the like the floor and like the open space in front of it, it actually looks like it's a similar set. Which, if it is, that's gonna throw some people off. Yeah, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be shocked. And I I think it just looks it looks like a good time. I don't expect it to be like a masterpiece or anything like that, or even like I said, another one where I don't expect it to be a top tier superhero movie. But I was just so surprised with everything DC's gotten wrong. They got the Wonder Woman character right. It looks like the gal is doing some pretty cool stuff here again. I'm really excited to see that they are utilizing the lasso a little bit more this time because I felt like they didn't use the lasso as much as maybe like her swords and her wristlets in the first one. Bracelets, yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that they're using that in creative ways. Yeah. I mean, I like I don't have a hot take on this one. It just I, it looks colorful. Mm -hmm. It looks light on its feet. It looks fun. Mm-hmm. I wonder how quickly it's going to take for me to get sick of all the references to Thor Ragnarok. Because this literally looks like Wonder Woman Ragnarok edition. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> I was I mean, thinking that a little bit too. Guardians of the Galaxy-ish Ragnarok-y kind yeah. of thing. I bet they had a World War II script written and then they saw Thor Ragnarok and threw it out. <laughs> uh, but that comes out on June 5th. So like I said, about a month after Black Widow. So those are probably the the one-two punch of really, really big movies next summer. And, of course, with Rise of Skywalker coming out, you'll get trailers of them on the big screen coming up soon. Do you think Wonder Woman will also introduce the Invisible Mobile? The Invisible Jet, you mean? Mm. Oh, sure. <laughs> anyway. Get out of here. Moving on. That'll do it for our news segment. From big to small, let's scale it down a little bit and get to our murder mystery thriller review of Knives Out. 
the night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. That's some heavy-duty conjecture. Funny, Ransom, you skipped the funeral, but you're early for the will reading. The family is truly desperate. When people get desperate, the knives come out. I keep waiting for the big reveal. All of them lied to me. Oh, my God. Tell me what happened to my grandfather. That was part of the pretty cryptic trailer for Knives Out, Ryan Johnson's new whodunit murder mystery thriller. We've got an all-star cast in this one to talk about. Johnson, of course, coming off the success, box office-wise. I will not start arguments again about Star Wars The Last Jedi. But box office-wise, obviously, it was a huge hit. And he got other people attracted to his projects. Among the people in this film, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Ana de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon... Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, and then more and more and more and more. Uh, the basic of the plot is that Harlem Thrombey, which is Christopher Plummer's character, he's a very popular murder mystery novelist, one of the most popular of all time. He's basically the Stephen King slash James Patterson of this universe. He dies unexpectedly after a birthday party for him that all of his family attended. Benoit Blanc which is Craig's character, very cleverly called CSI KFC in the film because he has this foghorn leghorn accent through the whole thing. He's in there to investigate the murder. He was tipped off to it. Or is it a murder in the first place? That's what the central mystery is. And there are a bunch of different suspects. And obviously, we go the Agatha Christie slash clue route where we try to solve before the detectives can even get to it. So guys, obviously, this is a very big throwback, but there's also a lot of modern elements to it too. It's a murder mystery like the Hardy Boys novels that you might have read growing up, but it's also got a 21st century kick to it, and I think that's very interesting. But we'll get into that a little bit later. It was one of the most anticipated movies of the year for me. Jay Kensler, what did you think of Knives Out? Knives Out was also one of those movies that I was super, super excited for. Um, like you, I love The Last Jedi, which is you know Ryan Johnson's movie. Uh, I love this cast. So many big names from good projects. So I was really, really excited to see it. I thought it was good. I thought it was very good. I didn't quite like it as much as I thought I would, although I've heard will change that could change on a second viewing. But for right now, I thought it was really well done, um, clearly very well thought out, a um, lot of detail, a lot of thought put into this movie. Obviously, there's twists. It's a murder mystery movie, but there's almost a twist on the structure and the genre that obviously we'll get to in spoilers that I was not expecting. So there's only so much I can say without spoiling it because there's like spoilers 20 minutes in. But yeah, other than that, I liked it. I um, I would recommend it to a lot of people. I think all the acting was good, writing was good. And uh, I'm excited to get going to just discuss it, truthfully. Well said. Nate Longarini, you have a very complicated history with Ryan Johnson. What do we think of this? <laughs> well, I think it confirms that I need a good script to like a movie, and this movie has it in spades. I loved it. I really, really did. Mm. Knives Out was great. So, Ryan Johnson, it's not a grudge against the director that I didn't like The Last Jedi. I just didn't like The Last Jedi. Um, this was a, everything that I wanted Bad Times at the El Royale to be. It was twisty, but it had some humor to it. There was a whole lot of subversion of the entire whodunit genre, and a lot of enthralling, awesome characters that 
each one you're trying to dissect like who the heck are you and what is your motive and they do a lot of really interesting things with it i think it's a great character piece a great whodunit um really fun time at the movies i had a blast with it hmm very interesting so I was I was lucky enough to see this early, and like I said, I was hella hyped for it. I was very, very excited for it. Yeah, keep flexing. I, as I said it, it sounded <laughs> like a flex, and I really didn't mean for it to be a flex. Um, <laughs> Couldn't help it. But I think I needed to rack something out of my brain. I've seen the film twice now, and I have to say it exponentially got better the second time. I really liked it the first time. Flat out loved it the second time I saw it. It's a twist on the twist-based genre. Like, we spend so much time watching murder mysteries, and I think Bad Times at the El Royale is a really good example, Nate, of one of those, where it's very much character-driven and quirky character-driven, and you're just trying to piece together who is doing what and what their motives are, and who is the person who did it. That's why it's called Who Done It. But really, this movie, and I can't take credit for this, but I love it, so I've just been reusing it over and over again. This is not a Who Done It. This is a Why Done It. It's less about the revelation of the mystery and more about how the people in the film inform the central mystery in the first place. It is very, very <laughs> you to the 1%, which is always fun. <laughs> I have a good time with that. But it is just so – it's so biting. It's ruthless. It's just so whip-smart and clever. It's subversive, but it's also really good at the genre as well. So it plays both – cards really well and the first time i saw it i had to kind of get over the initial shock of oh this is not doing anything near what i thought it was going to be doing and then once i got over that and knew what was coming the second time around it blew me away i, I think we're all afraid to comment due to spoilers <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the the one thing that we can just comment on without getting there is performances Daniel Craig as this, what is it, the Southern Drawl detective? Benoit Blanc. Yeah. Whatever he was trying to be, I loved it. It was the perfect amount of tongue-in-cheek, corny even, um, but just really gripping performance. And I think he's just having a lot of fun with this. Wasn't it um, Logan Lucky where he also had this accent? I think he's just like, sign me up for any role that I can do that. <laughs> he, he is on a kick of being the most opposite of James Bond possible. I was just going to say that. He's like, God, Bond is so stressful. Get me anything else. <laughs> oh, he absolutely delivers here. I had so much fun with him. And, like, he's cool, too, because he's not the perfect detective. He's no Sherlock Holmes, um, even though he has a lot of the same mannerisms. The movie doesn't let him solve everything. Like, he bumbles into some stuff. He... He needs help. He misses things completely. Yeah. Um, he's not an idiot, but like he's no uh, Inspector Crusoe from Black Panther kind of thing. No, but he no, definitely no, 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 is no. not a. <laughs> no, no, no. Pink Panther. Pink Panther. What did I say? Black, Black Panther. Panther. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Andrew and I both went. Incorrect. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Just like that. Steve Martin, Wakanda forever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, either way, point stance. He's he's awesome. He's so much fun. Yes, very much so. They like there are times where it flirts with him being like a straight up idiot, but they never commit to that, and it redeems him a lot later because you realize why he was hired in the first place. Basically, 
that I won't get into it more than that. This movie's cast is very much full of a lot of people trying to subvert the expectations we have for them. The three main ones I want to mention are Daniel Craig, which you guys already touched on, Chris Evans playing the exact opposite of Captain America, playing the biggest douchebag on the planet. He stole the movie for me a lot. Like, he is so funny and so intensely hateable Especially there's like one big set piece where the family's just screaming at each other and he is right in the middle of it and twisting the knife a little bit more and he's perfect. Just, a little bit more. <laughs> That's an understatement. There are a couple of scenes where I just look at him and I'm like, you're such a bastard. Like, <laughs> I loved watching him and at the same time I was like, shut your damn mouth. Like, you're There is not a line <laughs> he delivers in this movie that he doesn't deliver with a shit-eating grin. Like, there's, yeah. one, point <laughs> there's one point where it's just as simple where... Don Johnson, who is his father, is addressing him, and he just goes, father? Hello, my mother, ladies and gentlemen. He says, like, a couple seconds later, it's like, wow, can you just not be an ass for, like, 30 seconds? Yeah, he just walks in the door, and it's just who he is. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then the third person I want to mention is Tony Collette, who, at least Jake and I, I don't, I don't know if Nate ever did this, saw her scream her head off in the performance for the ages in Hereditary last year, the most intense performance possible. And just having, like, the most fun possible is basically Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's spot on. There's a lot of people that are basically caricatures here. There's Michael Shannon, who is, like, this schemy, shadowy guy who oh, reminds me a lot of um, his, what is it, the Swamp, the Swamp Monster movie. The Swamp, oh, Shape of Water. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of his <laughs> performance sw- of Shape of Water. Where he's, yeah, I was like, <laughs> man, I'm not following. <laughs> I like that. Oh, man. Uh, the, 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 the fish sex movie, the one best picture. <laughs> right. That one. <laughs> there is one person in the movie that I don't want to talk about till we get to spoilers because they have a much different role than I expected. And I think you guys know who I'm referring to, but we're not going to get into that yet. But Jake, anything else on the cast before we start to get into our ratings here? I was going to agree with that point there. And just to reiterate, I like all the casting choices and how different a lot of them play opposed to what they're used to. Because even, like you said, Tony Collette and even, uh, what's her name? Jamie Lee Curtis is known as like the original Scream Queen. She is this very uppity, self made, you know, businesswoman, takes no nonsense. Like, yeah. there's a lot of that. And they all pull it off really well, which tells me that Ryan Johnson works very well with actors. Hateable, but so watchable. And they're hateable in different ways. Let's get into our ratings here because there's really we've really hit the limit of what we can talk about without straight up spoiling <laughs> yeah. the movie. Uh, again, if you are joining us for the first time, we rate films on the seat scale. If we love it, if it's a masterpiece, it's a royal throne. If we think it's great, has minor flaws, but nothing crazy, we give it a plush recliner. If we think it's a movie with some pretty glaring flaws, but it's overall good, we give it a wooden seat. The inverse of that bad movie with decent things in it we give it a damp lawn chair and if we think it's just a awful awful movie we give it a sleazy outhouse and then if you should see it into a theater we will give it a bag of popcorn little moniker on the side of it so with that being said nate what would you give knives out tough one for me to rate because i really really liked it and i do have some minor problems with some things but that's just it they're incredibly minor so I think I'm going all the way on this one. I think I'm giving it a royal throne. Mm. I think it knows exactly what movie it wanted to be. I got on the page for what that movie was almost immediately. I think it just stuck it straight to my preferences for this type of movie. Hit all the checkboxes. Great twists. 
Uh, great take on the genre, great twists on the genre itself. Uh, it's got so many layers and so many great characters out of it uh, that I just I just had a ball. Like everything bad that I will say about it is so nitpicky that it just feels insincere to give it anything less than a royal throne. Nice. Well said. There's a part of me that wonders if I will get there upon a second viewing, like you guys seem to say. But right now I'm at a I'm at a plus recliner territory. It's still really good. I liked it a lot. I think it's a difficult movie not to like. I think most people can sit down and, and enjoy this to some extent, one way or another. I never quite got to the the love it standpoint though. Like I was engaged, I was interested. Uh, I couldn't wait to see what this character would do next, where the story was going to go next. Like all really good things, but it just never quite rose to that you know fell in love brilliance kind of level for me. But mm. uh, I'm acknowledging that there's definitely a shot. There is a twist in there that is very different and can throw you off guard. So there's potential that that happened to me. So we'll see. But for right now, I'm plush recliner with a bag of popcorn. I do think this would be fun with friends, honestly, or fun, you know, with a good audience. And it seems like people are still going to see it because it's making decent money. So, yeah, if you're going to go with people, make sure it's people that want to pay attention. I'm not even talking about the broadness of the mystery. I'm talking about the attention to detail in Ryan Johnson's direction and in his comedy it's very important that you're paying attention because that's what will you'll get the maximum experience out of it. And I know that's a little difficult the first time around. I didn't get the full breadth of how great this movie is until I saw it another time. And then I was like, wow, th- like this is working on so many different cylinders. It's got a message, but it's not in your face about it. It's extremely well directed. The score is fantastic. These actors are having the time of their lives. There are a few minor things I would change and they're nothing. it's nothing that would like push it out of plush recliner ranking. So I'm going to stick with plush recliner. It's teetering. It's very, very close to a royal throne. And I bet if you ask me again in like five to ten years, I might have changed my opinion because I've seen it so many times and grown to love it. But Five to ten years? <laughs> not, what I, not what I thought you were going to say. That's what you, I mean, you got to do that sometimes. You need to let the hype of the release not come out. You know what I mean? Like, right, we got to get that time travel set up there, then, Jake. <laughs> right. Well, that like a good example for me that the two of you know is that I think The Social Network is a masterpiece, but I thought it was just a really great movie the first time I saw it. But as time has gone on and the culture has changed, you know, like it, it like this movie might grow up really well with the context of life right now. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> but for now, plus recliner, I will give it a bag of popcorn. I do think it's fun with an audience especially as you guys are experiencing the jokes together. So let's talk about some of those jokes and some of those reveals. Please, I'm begging you, if you have not seen Knives Out, go see the movie and then come back and listen to our spoiler section. If you have seen it, which a lot of you, like I said, a lot of you have, let's get into our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! All right, boys, where to start? I think it's very interesting how this movie is structured, and I think that can be a good jumping-off point for anybody that wants to go in any direction here. Yeah, so I think the biggest reveal happens so early in the movie where we find out pretty quickly how the guy dies. And I don't think anybody expects that going into a whodunit. And like you said earlier, Drew, it's a why done it. And... Having Ana de Armas' character be the one who's stuck in the middle of all this, I thought was brilliant. She obviously has her own character, which is supposed to be like this naive, nice, very caring person. Reserved. like Reserved a little bit, sure. Who's trying to just navigate 
the chaos that is this family, period. So to have her be the murderer like that is already compelling on one end because it's a complete opposite of not only what the audience thinks, but what Daniel Craig's character thinks, you know? So that in itself is already compelling. But then you add on the layers on top of it where she literally cannot tell lies without throwing up, um, where she's covering her tracks in real time as the audience and the detectives are finding it. Having all that there just made her such a cool character to follow. And that's just the first act. It blew my mind. We're far from done with it at that point. But that was what I was talking about with the shock. It took me about probably 20, 30 minutes to recover from like, oh, okay, that's the answer. But it's not the only answer, and it's not it's not the destination that's important. It's the journey to everybody else catching up. Exactly. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience. Like, they basically – so, like, the three-act structure. They basically bridge act one and act two with you finding out, like, who did it and, like, what happened. And I was like, what? Did he really just tell us, like, yeah. 40 minutes in? I don't – I'm a little I think even less than even that. earlier, yeah. even earlier. Yeah, if that, 30. if that, that's 20, 25, 30 tops. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So I had a similar experience to you, but after leaving the theater and thinking about it, I'm like, that was interesting and actually really worked. And then what he decides to do with the movie afterward, like you could tell he had a really good handle on this movie. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah. He, he clearly thinks, and I, this may even be a little bit of a response and a continuation of what he did with the last Jedi he really doesn't think that the reveals are the most important part. You know what I mean? It's it's how we frame things around the reveals. Because I think about how The Last Jedi operated. It was very much like, okay, I don't care about this the fan theory. I don't care about this fan theory. And, of course, this doesn't have the same level of speculation. And I, I think that it's probably a little bit tighter with its writing, for sure. If I had one note for him, and this would be like, I don't know why he would listen to me, but <laughs> I would <laughs> Yeah, for, I, I wouldn't either, to be honest. If I had one note, I would push the reveal back by about 15 minutes, and I would have the audience learn when Ransom learns when they're eating in the restaurant after the whole will chaos. I was shifted back to then. Uh-huh. I think it would have worked a little better if he did that, but I don't think it's like it certainly doesn't not work how it is now. I don't know. I, you guys are treating it like it was a shock that took you out of the movie for a little bit, and I think that was the shock that got me into the movie. Interesting. That's when I was. That's when I really like eyebrows up. Like, whoa, this movie is doing something new. This is something different. It's like the giant dive right before you uh, begin your roller coaster ride. You know, you reach the and peak it's that and then, initial yep. jolt that let me know that like I'm on the ride. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in it now. And that's a great. Comparison. I don't think it ever let up for me. I thought it just did a great job of constantly adding a new but reasonable twist. There's a lot of these types of movies where the plot is so complex and the mastermind who tried to get away with the murder is just absurdly weird. I think this movie is good because, yes, there is a quote-unquote mastermind who's behind it, really, and it's not on a darnest. But enough people have their own pieces in the puzzle that it doesn't feel like it's too complex for one person to try to dream up. I really hope that Lionsgate has people listening to this so they can put that quote on the DVD cover. The roller coaster thing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm lobbying for it right now. (laughs) Another thing I really like about this movie is there is a lot of layers to 
the the patriarchs mur- murder Christopher Plummer, but basically anybody could have done it, but most of them never actually would have, and yet you still know that they're all bad people. Right, like they're all played out in such a way that you know none of them are good people. They're all liars, and all of their versions of the party and their their relationship with their father are different than how they believe. And yes. I I really loved all their backstories. Oh with that yes, kind of that stuff. that was. The main thing that worked even better the second time around, the warped perception of how naive and like hostily naive that rich people can be when they're insulated by their money and by their power. And when they have that taken away from them, the Knives Out is not about solving the murder. The Knives Out is when you are threatened and your livelihood is about to be taken away from you. Your very cushy livelihood. Mm -hmm. Jake, that's a good point. Any of these people could have done it. It just happened to be the accident, or the perceived accident, obviously, when we figure out exactly what happened, that turned it on its head. Well, like when they show the birthday party scene over and over again, and it's different context, everybody's leaning down, singing happy birthday with the cake at different points, when really, in reality, probably none of them were doing it. The big other one, I think, is when, like, Jamie Lee Curtis is describing them allowing Marta and their family, and they're talking on the couch, and it looks like they're just, like, having a great moment with Marta. But then you just find out that Don Johnson called her over to be part of like an immigrant discussion. And it's like, yeah, dude, the whole politics. Yeah. Like, when that happened, I was like, oh, my God, all of you suck. All of you, even the ones who are nice to her. You you're you're pretty shitty. Also. Yeah. Even the teenage girl who's going to the liberal arts college calls her solely to see if she's going to reverse the contents of the will. And then as soon as she gets that affirmative, hangs up. Immediately, you know, like right. that's that's all she cares about. Fake cries about it later because she feels bad mm-hmm. about it in person. Yeah, th- those are the people that are the most dangerous. Like, you know, Don Johnson is obviously such a shitbag, and the movie makes that very clear. But like, mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis is rough. Like, she is so entitled and she is so fake warm and fake inviting. How many times does somebody in this movie say, "I wanted you at the funeral, but I got outvoted"? Like, at a certain point, you do the math, folks. Yeah, like, I think they all do. Yeah, I think I, that's I the think, joke. Or at least half of them At least half of right. them said it, which means if you do the math, most of you are lying. <laughs> the yep. moment Jamie Lee Curtis feels a shift in power, she's calling Ana de Armas a slut. Like, the moment. Doesn't even stop. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then there's Ransom who says later, Chris Evans goes like, yeah, I mean, like, she says she's a self-made woman, but, like, we all got, like, a million dollars to start with. Like, that's not how self-made works. Like... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Trump. (laughs) Very topical, obviously. And I think this movie, I get a little bit of hate online from um, from certain crowds because of how. You can just say it. It, Yeah. There's a right wing crowd that is not going to like this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely Plain and simple. (laughs) Surprise. It hasn't been on Fox News yet. (laughs) Uh, All right. So um, if I'm going to go into a little bit more of like the, the deep twists, like obviously we find out that. If there was a quote-unquote mastermind to this story, it's Chris Evans who's kind of playing the character of Marta, the the nurse, and everyone else in the house to just cause as much disruption as possible and hope to snag whatever riches he can get out of the deal. His, his it's plan, a lot of process. Yeah, his plan is complex, and there are a couple moments where... I felt myself not listening to the dialogue because I was still processing what just happened with the exposition the moment before, you know? Yeah. There is there is a part where the movie basically tells you to strap on and get ready. When <laughs> Daniel Craig sits down in that knife seat and he starts rolling up his sleeves, 
Like that's the moment where the movie is like visually signifying for you. If you're not paying attention yet, pay attention right now. Like here we go. Yes. Mm. Right. This is what you've been waiting for. Yeah. So I think that that knives room reveal scene works 100% for me. I I followed the logic. They did like the cutaways the right moment. They got the reaction shots the right way. It felt compelling. It felt like it, it was kind of satisfying for me because I was tried piecing little bits together and I got some of it as it happened in real time. And I'm like, yes, I yeah. got it. I got like about 40 minutes from the end. It popped in my head that he had something else to do with this because he leaves so early that it's like, yeah, there's always that that moment in these types of movies where the character, you know, the least amount generally has more to hide. And right. that's why you don't know about them now. I think the only part about his plan that I didn't like in the movie was the other housekeeper character. Because I'll be honest, I completely forgot she existed. She found her covered in, like, the spider. Yeah, Francis, and yeah. In, in, the, in the red yeah. laundromat area. Like, I thought it was the, the sister for a minute. Just because we hadn't seen that character interact with basically anybody other than the flashback to the party scene. I think we needed to see her like once or twice more just to remind me that she was a player in the game because it felt out of nowhere the first time around. Yeah, no, I, I can agree with that because that's such a very important piece at the end, too. That's what kind of confirms the whole thing. Right, because he, he he's trying to cover what we're talking about, Chris Evans, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he's trying to cover his tracks. And then I also like that they get him to admit because he's right. At, at first, he's like, so you got a few charges. Maybe I get a little sentence here and there. But, you know, you're not going to get me on everything. And then they catch him. They catch him admitting to mur- murdering or trying to murder the character, right? Yeah. And it's obviously poetic and obvious that two members of the help are his downfall. Not really even the detectives. The detectives start to put it together. But Daniel Craig never figures it out if he doesn't find the, uh, the uh, toxicology report in that secret stash area. Right. Or if Ana de Armas doesn't record his call. Those two are directly responsible for his downfall. Absolutely. And the whole movie is about how the genuinely good people are the ones that are outsmarting everybody else. I'll even push back on that, though. Daniel Craig says it at the end. It's not that they were smarter at playing the game. It's the fact that they were not playing the game. And they were being genuinely good people. And that's how they got through it. If you're going to be a backstabby, bad person... You're not going to win. <laughs> right. Their, their good deeds carried them the whole way. That's mm-hmm. a very, very good point. This is one of two movies this year that is very anti-hate. Just anti-hate in general. This one and Jojo Rabbit. They don't seem like they have a lot in common, but they really do because they're very bizarre original ideas from very auteur filmmakers that are very socially conscious, obviously, too, and very Twitter active and so on and so forth. So, I mean, they have a lot in similarities that I didn't put together until after the movie. Like, there's just so much satisfying to see these rich people, like, scratch and claw for what they believe they're righteously owed. Like, the scene where Michael Shannon confronts Ana de Armas and tries to, Uh, like— In the hallway? Yeah, in the hallway, and is like, we have the resources to make her go away, but we can also protect her with her resources. And then she, like— very innocently and politely, like you were saying, Nate, not playing the game or anything, just goes, wait a minute, I have those resources now. He gave them to me. So thanks, I guess. And he's and he just goes, uh, he, like, you look, you look at his face, he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> that was a great scene. So satisfying to watch because uh, there was so much tension up to that moment. And then when she just drops that bomb and I'm like, oh, 
I have all that power now. Bye. <laughs> I was not literally, but figuratively jumping up in my seat going like, you go, girl. You yeah. get it. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's really great how the movie, one, how he utilizes different styles of direction. Like, there are moments where the movie, like, looks like a Wes Anderson movie. Like, the scene where they pan back and forth from when she's running along the mud tracks. Like, the way that shot looks like a Wes Anderson movie. But then there are other times where he shoots it like a really intense horror movie. And he's utilizing all these different styles and these styles of comedy. There's a lot of good slapstick. There's a lot of good dialogue. There's a lot of good visual comedy. Like, when the dog keeps bringing back the piece of the fence and she keeps throwing it away. Like... It's just a it's just a really smart filmmaker firing on all cylinders all across and a really talented cast doing a really nice job with the script. And even the use of whoever plays Christopher Plummer's mother, um, there's a couple of good jokes with her. They're like Harlan's 85th birthday. So like how old is his mom that she's here? And they're like, nobody knows. <laughs> like generally, like, we have no idea. I, I laughed out loud at that. I'm like, that's awesome. That's so funny. Have you eaten Nana? And like Michael Shannon's screaming at her and she just can't <laughs> yeah. hear him. And, he, and like Jamie Lee Curtis is like, she ate like the whole plate earlier. She ate like the whole sausage yeah. plate or something. And, and she ends up being a big part in figuring out uh, the murder. Yeah. Just by innocently standing around. <laughs> yeah. Chris Evans' character coming back to the will reading just basically to <laughs> just see to the chaos. There. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you kind of know it's coming because obviously if he's not in the will, why would he come if he knows he's not in it? And it's literally just to see the reaction out of the rest of the family with that shit in green that we were talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. That was gold. When he, you can uh, eat shit. You can eat shit. You can eat shit. <laughs> yeah, that definitely shit. Yeah. Oh my god, so funny. We got to do this more often. What an awesome, awesome character introduction where the dogs just want, like are all up on him. Have you, fun fact about how they filmed that? Chris Evans had dog treats in his pocket, and that's why they were freaking out on him because nobody can hate Chris Evans like that, especially like an animal of America. You know. Yeah, that was that was an awesome scene. That was definitely a standout. I also think the. Um the scene where he meets Ana de Armas in the restaurant. At that moment, I was like, okay, we're seeing a change of heart for him because he's not in the will, so what does he care? And then he puts the bowl in front of her and you know he's about to interrogate her. And I was, that was the first moment where I was like, oh, you're a bastard. I don't like, I don't like you at all. You're an asshole. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's still compelling to watch because yeah. he's a smart asshole, yes. which I think is so key to all these players. None of them are flat out idiots. Which I like. Which, yeah. yeah, definitely needed. It's great comeuppance to all of them when none of them get what they want at the end. Yeah. I, yes. like, this, it's satisfying, but it was absolutely work to get there. Oh, man, this might have the best final shot of the year. I, I was just saying, I love it. the ending shot. I love the ending shot. There are a couple movies with some excellent, excellent last scenes this year, and this is definitely one of them. Oh, man. I think the car chase in this movie... <laughs> is so good. Oh my god. Yeah, that yeah. was gold. Yes. This I is like the stupidest too. car chase ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I honestly I, I, I could end it there. This movie just had had it all. It had the great twist. It was intelligent. It had something to say. Humor. Um and it was funny as all hell to balance it all out. It was like the perfect meal. It had a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh we could go on and on. Made me hungry for donuts too, by the way. Very hungry for donuts. Oh. I love that model. <laughs> that, that that whole thing and the way they return to it too, it's so good. Uh, we could just go on and on about our favorite parts, but I think it's time we start to wrap up here a little bit. Jake, why don't you give your final thoughts on Knives Out? Yeah, to ditto what you guys were saying, it's funny to think that I'm the Lomax. It sounds like I'm the Lomax. I liked it a lot. 
Um, it's extremely well written. There's there's like a dozen different layers to this. I was gonna say I wish Lakeith Stanfield had a little bit more screen time. He's like he's the cop that kind of is an association with Daniel Craig a little bit throughout the movie, uh, and he's a very good actor. And I he's up and coming, and I would have liked to see him get a little more screen time because I like him. But um, every character is good, gets good use of their script. There is no I don't even think there is a generic character like even. Um, the kid. He's the kid of Michael Shannon, played by Jaden Martell. He probably only has a line or two, but his character is still well written because they, he gets digs. He has a, a relatively interesting backstory. You can peg him for who he is. Oh, like, he calls her some. He calls Marta something really racist at one point. <laughs> well, they're all kind of racist to her because they right. all say that they're coming from a different country, right? They call yeah. her <laughs> yeah Brazil, yeah, yeah, Paraguay, yeah, yeah. like Paraguay, yeah. yeah. Right, I don't remember what he says, but um, overall, like every the story's very well written, the characters are really well written. Um, everybody chews up the performances. Like you can tell, Ryan Johnson's gonna be he's gonna be huge. I'm, I mean, if he's not already, if he's not considered a huge director, yeah, he he's gonna be. He directed one of the biggest movies of all time. Even if I didn't like it, right, Star Wars only, is he still has, <laughs> He still only has so many movies under his belt. Like I wouldn't say he's a household name yet. But I, I can't wait to see right. what he does. Like people know who he is infamously. Mm. Whether that's right or not is a whole other discussion. But anyway, Nate, final thoughts. I won't rave about this movie too much longer um, other than the fact that I really loved it. I loved all these characters. A minor complaint is that I wish we saw more of the supporting characters during the second act. Like there's a long bit where it's literally just Ana de Parma's and Chris Evans running around for a little bit where you don't see a lot of the supporting cast. But that is, again, a minor nitpick in a very, very good movie. Definitely a royal throne for me. And I would love to see more movies like this. Take a genre, take an idea, flip it around, turn it inside out a couple times, and wrap it all up in this pretty package, great acting, and an awesome story. And you get a Knives Out. Let's have more Knives Outs. <laughs> Put the Knives Away in church, but Knives Out everywhere else. Sure. <laughs> I was very concerned with how people were going to react to this because a lot of people don't like when their expectations are subverted too much. People don't like when their expectations are subverted and it's something that doesn't make sense to them, I guess, is what I've learned from this. Because Johnson is so consistent with everything he does in his storytelling in this film specifically that there are people like raving about it, like just normal average people. And I, I love that. I love that we're getting people seeing adult filmmaking, adult genre, original filmmaking, and not just going out to franchise and stuff like that. And I'm not trying to be like, a, oh, anti-franchise guy, but you know what I mean? Like, it's good that movies like this are doing well is basically what I'm trying to say. Right. Because Thank it, God. <laughs> it's a really good one of these movies, too. Like I said, there's just so much about the details of this film. It's so clever. It's so smart. It's way smarter than anything I could have ever thought of. Down to the most basic details, it is such an attack on the wealthy. That's so fun. All the way down to the guy who reads the will doesn't know anything that he's reading, so his his like assistant has to point at things for him to so make sure he's reading stuff right. That just shows how people in power often are made and built by the people underneath them, and this movie is a celebration of that, but a really fun classic throwback to the murder mystery genre as well. If you haven't seen it already, why are you listening right now? But... If you have seen it, see it again, because I think it holds up and it does even better on the second time around. That will do it for our Knives Out review and for this edition of the Middle Seeds podcast. Before we go, Nate Longarini, where can they find us on the internet? 
Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including SoundClouds, Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Next time on the main Middle Seats podcast, it will be that time. We will be talking about Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Should be a fun one, obviously. Might take up the whole podcast. We'll have to decide. But either way, we're very excited for that. If you haven't been following 30 Days of Star Wars, where we go through and review the movies and the Skywalker saga leading up to this point, please check that out. Those are episodes we've been putting out probably one or two a week, roughly. So by the time you listen to this, most of them should be out. It's a good way to get yourself ready for the big final Star Wars experience. That will do it for tonight's episode. For Nate Longarini and Jay Kensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. 